Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. had an enjoyable Mother's Day. Welcome everyone to Nightlight. We've got a little out there over the last uh, few shows. Um, we'll be more down to earth tonight. Uh, it's mid-May and Colorado had a snowstorm. Uh, I have a frost warning for the next few nights, which will be about four days past the traditional last frost day. So if you are tired of a seven-month-long winter, let's go on a virtual vacation to the beach tonight. Uh, When we think of 18th century America, probably we think of uh, you know, founding documents or uh, George Washington set the precedence for, say, American exceptionalism. There's probably a couple things that uh, first come to mind. Uh, but there were many other names from this period that had notable achievements, but we may have forgotten who they were, but this show is designed for us to keep alive their legacies. For example, you know, there's John James Audubon and his studies and paintings of birds. John Singleton uh, Copley painted the realistic Watson and the shark, and we gaze in suspense you know, did the sailors pull Watson to safety, or did the shark get to Watson first? You know, what's the uh, story that happened after uh, Watson paint, uh, did this painting? Um, Charles Wilson Peale had his uh, his first American museum in the upper floor of Independence Hall, and he painted 
an excavation of a mastodon in New York, and and there's the famous painting of him lifting a curtain to give you know the viewers a glimpse of his uh, museum. And his sons were also celebrated artists, and they had a museum in Baltimore. Uh, George Caitlin and others, other artists did portraits of Native uh, chiefs. And there's just a lot of uh, people who used artwork to celebrate you know, America's landscape. Uh, one name we may not remember as well is William Bartram, but he left just as an important legacy as the others I just mentioned. He traveled through the Southeast and Gulf Coast colonies and was one of the first to document the plants, wildlife, wild, wildlife and customs of the Cherokee, Yuchi, Seminole, and of course I have to mention the, the Creek since Vera made me an honorary member uh, to give us <clears throat> our history lesson tonight we have Brad Sanders he is the author of the fabulous guide to William Bartram's travels uh, he's also a small in independent publisher uh, you, you can learn more about him at fevertreepress.com and he's also a retired history teacher. Hi, Brad. How are you? Hi, I'm doing fine. But I was not a history Great. teacher. I taught graphic oh. arts. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Graphic arts. Right. <laughs> make that correction. Well, you you uh, write like a uh, college profet college history professor. Oh, you have a well. That may be good, and that may not be good. <laughs> well, I, I was intending it to be a compliment. Yeah. Well, but, thank you um, very much. No, I'm sure it was. And, you know, I came across your book uh, probably about 10 years ago. I took uh, kids to uh, this, like, two-day, one-night field trip to Baltimore and – Philadelphia, and <clears throat> I think our last stop before making our way home was to Bartram's Gardens, and had you know, just fantastic experience there. And so I picked up your book, and you know, it's, uh, I could, uh, recommended you for one show several years ago, and at least. Uh, when I approached you about returning to my show, um, yeah, you were interested. So at least, you know, at least you didn't say no. So you know, I got you here. So you know, I think we're gonna have a really good talk tonight. And I, I've just, uh, you know, since I've had your book for about ten years, I, uh, I think it's uh, an amazing uh, work. And yeah, you know, I think we'll just get. Uh, started on it tonight and you are welcome to come back and uh, help us to re recreate this uh, fascinating period of 
you know, that transitional time from the colonies to states. But, um, you know, we're familiar with Lewis and Clark's uh, explorations up the Mississippi River to the Pacific Northwest and being saved by Sacagawea and sending the souvenirs uh, to Thomas Jefferson and many of them are uh, still hanging in Monticello or on display there. Um, but William Bartram was doing his trips to South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, uh, about 30 uh, to 40 years uh, prior to Lewis and Clark's uh, exploration of the uh, um, you know, high plains. Um, so what, what sent William Bartram on his travels? Well, William Bartram, up until he, he was born in the 1730s, and um, his whole life he was overshadowed by his father, John Bartram, who at the time was a more famous a person because he was a, a collector and a, a botanist who was known in Europe. Um, John Bartram intended William to go into the mercantile business, um, which and, and William Bartram, to his credit, tried to do that for a number of years, but it was the one thing that he was probably completely unsuited for. His personality didn't lend itself to that, that kind of work. And he wanted to do something that was completely unreasonable, which was he wanted to be an artist and study plants, but you can't, can't make a living at that, although um, John Bartram's agent in England, uh, Peter Collinson, would sell William Bartram's drawings that uh, they would send them over there. But at a, a point in the, uh, well, in 1765, John and William Bartram came to the South because John Bartram was botanist to the king in North America. And he went to East Florida to make a report on the land and, you know, uh, so that England could know what they had because it had been Spanish territory and then in the early 1760s became a British possession. And William Bartram fell in love with Florida and he wanted to stay and become a planter. So he got some land um, and tried to become an indigo and planter, and he failed miserably and almost died and had to sell out. And it was kind of, after that, he, uh, I guess, a midlife crisis, and he, he wanted to go back to the South and was hired by or funded by Dr. John Fothergill of um, in England to travel in the southern colonies where other people had not been looking for plants, to search for plants to send back to Dr. Fothergill, uh, because at the time, wealthy, educated people in Europe loved to collect plants, and if they could get a plant that somebody else didn't have, then they could share it with them in kind of a it was kind of a, a good-natured one-upsmanship, and you could get attention and importance by having a plant that other people wanted. So uh -huh. Bartram, William, William came south in 1773, um, and John Fothergill paid him 40 pounds a year 
to travel and look for plants. That's that's how William got got back to the South. But anybody who reads Barton's travels knows that he didn't stick to his assignment of looking for plants, or he didn't stick to it completely. He looked at the animals, and he wanted to travel, and he lived among the Indians, and, and he learned about the Indians. And um, but so he, that's how he got to the South, and that's how he was able to travel and just collect plants was because he was funded to do that. Hmm. Okay. So um, you know, early in your book, and you do mention that he, like, botany at, at that time was uh, almost kind of like synonymous with uh, like a pharmaceutical industry, but it, 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 it's you, you make it very clear that William was his intention was to help humanity. Yes. Um, some of the earlier explorers, like uh, Mark Catesby, part of his um, publication was, and some of his work and exploration was funded by a, a pharmacist, because that's where you got drugs and at that time, medicines. And um, uh-huh. William Bartram was interested, I guess, learning from his father. He was interested in plants for their beauty and their interest to humanity because that fit in with his Quaker beliefs that um, things that would help people um, were important. But but at the same time, he, his Quaker sensibility made him open to the beauty of nature because he saw this as the handiwork of God. And um, it was a, I don't know if it was a conflict in Bartram's mind that he was conscious of, but in his writing, he'll write about Prairie in Gainesville, Florida, you know, a beautiful description of the, the animals running through the, uh, the prairie and the sun setting and the sandhill cranes. And then farther down the road towards the Sawani River, he'll talk about the landscape and it would be a beautiful place for cities and for humanity to live and flourish. And um, you, you can't have both of them together because, you know, once you come in and build those farms in the cities and a lot of that beautiful nature, it, it may not be gone, but it's it's altered. Um, but that to me, that's a conflict that can, keeps popping up is that um, what makes this book so so beautiful is that he was one of the first people who wrote about nature from a, a personal viewpoint and his impression of it and it being the handiwork of God rather than just writing about it scientifically. Um, and and that's, if, if he had just been a scientist writing about it, we wouldn't be still talking about him very much today. Well, uh, you, you do have some um, 
uh, great, great passages that you highlight from his Bartram's travels in, and put them in uh, your text to highlight highlight what you're uh, uh, discussing. And so with these, you know, some of these plants that he's uh, discovering, like the bottle brush buckeye, uh, uh, is that the foundation for any medicine or or do you know what the importance of that uh, plant is? Uh, it is, or you know, is it just you know that he he was like the first person to uh, just dis, uh, discover it. He was the first person to discover it. I don't know if bottle brush buckeye has any medicinal value. You know, a, a lot of a lot of plants at one time did have medicinal value, but now they don't because you know medicines are synthesized, but. Um, Bottlebrush buckeye is endemic to um, from the Chattahoochee River west of Georgia through central Alabama. And um, he saw it and wrote about it, and he did, he did a drawing of it. But somebody else got to get credit for naming it because Bartram's descriptions of his plants were not complete enough for science to give him credit for naming them. So we give him credit for discovering them because, you know, he did a painting 20 years before somebody else described it. But um, there, there is one, he and his father did discover one plant, it's called the fever tree, uh, Pinknea pubens, and it does have medicinal value because it has quinine in it. And um, yeah. it's related to the Chincona, I think it's the Chincona tree of South America where natural quinine is derived. And the, in the colonial times in the early 1800s, settlers in South Georgia, North Florida, would make a, a tea of it to help relieve fever. And um, I don't know if Interesting. quinine was used originally to, uh, to help with um, malaria. And I don't know if the pinknea of Georgia has any value with malaria, but it was used to relieve fever. Um, so there's that one. And um, he discovered golden St. John's wort on the Flint River in West Georgia. And I think St. John's wort ha does have some medicinal values, but I, I don't really, can't really say. Interesting. Okay, um, mm -hmm. so he, uh, yeah, Bartram's documenting uh, these plants. Um, he he also becomes one of the first um, you know, white people uh, colonists uh, to. Write about the giant oysters. I thought that was yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, like uh, fossils, because you know, uh, we uh, know from uh, 
was it the Big Bone Salt Lick in Kentucky that uh, um, it, n- native uh, peoples were using some of the like mastodon tusks that were found in the uh, quicksand and you know, they're using them for some of the ceremonies and uh, uh-huh. like supports for their uh, tents. So it, it, it's interesting how uh, uh, in the natives were already aware of fossils. Yes. Uh-huh. And yeah. these, these fossils, um, the giant oysters, John and William Bartram discovered them in 1765. And uh, it, I've seen some of the fossils. I, I don't know much about them <laughs> other than that. No, I, um, I'm like so many other people in the audience. Uh, anything dinosaur is super, super cool. So I read that and I was like, oh, wow, that, uh, uh, that's really interesting. But you know, uh, aside from um, you know, the you know, very old uh, fossil uh, remains, uh, you, you draw our attention to The uh, waterways along the coast that would later be developed into the uh, intercoastal uh, waterway that runs throughout uh, most of the south. I think that's pretty – what's it? Uh, he, he didn't have, you know, uh, you know, wasn't like directly responsible for the, you know, make, uh, you know, his blueprints were used 200 years later, but he's observing for the first time something that would be developed uh, much later. That that yeah. takes a special uh, eye to pick up on the uh, geography of the area and realize there's like some k- kind of potential there. Yeah. Well, from was uh, he wrote he was one of the first people to to write observe and write about it, but he, he observed it because the coastal boats that he was on going from Charleston to Savannah, Savannah to Darien um, from St. Augustine up, he noticed that the boats stayed between the islands and the, and the coast. They didn't go out to sea. So he was, he wrote about traveling uh-huh. from Darien to Sunbury and they never went out to sea. And then he, he, you know, expounded upon that. And um, George Washington was the, the first person to propose the intracoastal waterway, or the first person that we know of who actually wrote about it, that the government should propose that. 
But um, Bartram was um, uncannily observant. And um, the, you're talking about the giant oysters on the, in the Mississippi River. He noticed fossilized tree trunks near the water, but there were, you know, dozens of feet of land, earth over them. So he says, well, how is it that here are trees, but then earth is on top of them now? And um, so he writes about how over time, you know, what what was a swamp here later became land, and now it's being revealed again. And um, they, uh, that worked in some of the early geologists who came to North America. I'm trying to remember the... British geologist, his name escapes me, who wrote one of the first books of geology, traveled in the in the United States and mentioned about Bartram's observations of geology and how this forest in ancient times became covered with land. Very interesting. And you know, since we're dealing with some some of the uh Water settings. Um, well, Bartram was one of the first people to write about alligator, Florida alligators, and no one believed his European readers had just a disbelief about. These huge, like you know, lizards <laughs> in, in, in their colonies. It, but yeah, I, yeah, that's an interesting story as well as the manatees. And, you, know, uh, you know, we're just um, you know, the native people obviously were uh, well aware of such wildlife, but. He he brought them almost like 200 years before uh, you know, Marlon Perkins was doing his mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. That's you know he's bringing these animals to his reading audience, right? And particularly people who, at least in the United States and and in Europe were complete, you know, they were just amazed and awe of the, there were things like this in the world, in, in, a, in the North America, and, but, you know, the, the alligators. And um, another thing was um, Bartram's writing about the, the Indians. Um, before he wrote about the Indians, there, had, there, weren't, there wasn't much written about them for people in Europe, other than they are they cause trouble, and um, Coleridge, is it Coleridge who wrote Xanadu? Um, yes, pulled some of his some of his uh, imagery of of ancient landscapes and you know un, not un, non modern landscapes from Bartram's writings about Florida mm. and the Seminole Indians riding across Payne's Prairie in Florida. I did not know that. Yeah, and uh, um, I know 
Coleridge would have been a contemporary with uh, Bartram, and uh, Coleridge was supposed to settle on uh, along the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania and develops uh, some kind of um, uh, Unitarian type. Um, A co- compound for uh, parishioners. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> so so that um, I'm I never heard that until you just mentioned it. I, I'm just wondering how. Um, yeah, that may actually you know put things into perspective. Yeah. Well, the. Um... Hmm. Europeans, Bartram was published, his book was available in Europe just a year after it was first published in Philadelphia. And within a few years, it was in German, Italian, French, Spanish, and and English, of course. And um, so people in Europe who were educated uh, knew about Bartram it was more for a while in Europe um, in the late 17 and early 1800s than it was in North America. Um, some some people think that you know part of that's you know the a prophet has no honor in his in his own at his own home. Part of it may have been people's resentment of his um, appreciation of the American Indians and treating them like they were decent decent human beings, but. Um, a lot of it was people in Europe were they were armchair, armchair travelers. Uh, and here was a book that, that had, had stuff in it that they had never seen, had read before, and could only imagine what it was like. And they loved it. And you know, uh, through, throughout your book, you. you have all these numerous encounters of uh, Bartram being amongst the Cherokee and you do say that uh, he he wanted to have his readers understand the indigenous people that he met in their own context and saw that their culture as having a complex symbolism and a structure to it, which mm-hmm. is kind of little uh, 180 degree uh, difference from uh, what many Europeans um imagined uh so it, what you're saying was that uh Bartram put uh, create realistic uh, uh portrayals of uh people that uh let them let him live with them Yes. Um, the, the 
thing about William Bartram and the Indians is that he, because he was thrust in their society, and um, and he was interested in learning about them and, and asked questions. He was one of the people. He he wrote the most about their culture, particularly the Creek Indians and the Seminoles, their history, um, some uh, what they their how they thought of the animals, um, how their towns were arranged, what their ceremonies were. And the other people who who actually lived among the Indians, the the traders, because the the Indian traders would generally live where at the they lived in a town like uh, uh, Tallahassee. If you were the trader for Tallahassee, you lived right at the edge of the Tallahassee town, and quite often the traders would uh, have in, an Indian wife. And in their letters, they would write things about the Indians, but these were all little bits and pieces. And nobody ever thought it worthwhile to write down. Uh, well, he was, an, he was an ethnographer and um, wrote down things that people, we would not know today. And in fact, I um, knew somebody who, who lived near me, who lived here in Northeast Georgia, who was um, a member of the Creek Indian Nation east of the Mississippi. And he said that when they were trying to recreate some of their ceremonies, sometimes they would have to refer to Bartram because he wrote it down. And even though there were educated Creek Indians, you know, in the leadership who could read and write, they, that was not a thing they did. They did not write them down. They would, you know, it would be word of mouth from generation to generation. So, Bartram's um, observations, and and they trusted him, one thing, because he was a Quaker, and Quakers had a good reputation among the Cherokee and the Creeks. But when they got to know him, there was something about William Bartram that made people like him. And uh, wish I could have met the guy. <laughs> but, uh, uh-huh. and and the people trusted him too. And, um, you know, there's, there's that famous story in the, on the St. John's River near Palatka, Florida, the uh, the Indians had a little village near the, the the trading store so that they would have a place to stay for a few days when they were in trading. And there was an uproar one day, and there was a rattlesnake in the in the the campground. <clears throat> so they came to get William Bartram to do something about it, and and he said that he didn't want to he didn't want to kill the snake. But he felt that that he needed to for the uh, for their the peace of mind, and uh, so he threw a, um, a rock at it or a stick and it killed the snake. And then the Indians wanted to um, they, they said he had too much power; they wanted to scratch him and release release some of his power and some of his blood. But but, but it's but it's interesting that um, they they came to him for help because they knew that he, there was something different about him, <laughs> and. Um, that he loved animals, and he was. They thought that he had some kind of special connection with them. I guess is all I can figure. And since we're talking about some of the um, customs he he 
observed. Um, you, know, you do have uh, you know, thorough overviews of you know the regional history, like uh, the Creek Wars, which, you know, which were you know, a little after uh, Bartram had. Uh, you know, returned uh, into the Philadelphia area, um, but you know, we may not uh, be aware of you know, like uh, you know some like the building of the Federal Road and how that impacted. Uh, the the native peoples and you know, led to the uh, first of two creek wars, but that little bit of information that kind of is leading us towards the more well known uh, trail of tears that uh, you know we read about in high school hi- history classes. Um, so. Y- you, know, you are uh, in your book. You are providing us with a uh, fuller hi- history of uh, the starts and stops and all these struggles going on, uh, changing alliances with the. Spanish no longer in Florida and English moving in. Uh, some of the uh, cultural practices had gone from like a hunting gathering culture to more agri- agricultural um, uh, society. So, you know, you, you you know, Brad, you are giving us a comprehensive view of, you know, the, what, 1760s to, uh, you know, approaching 1820, and you know, like a 60-year time period that um, probably a lot of people don't know a whole lot about. Mm-hmm. But, you, you, know, well, you, you make it relevant to us today. Well, my... Uh approach was, as I was reading Bartram's travels, I got fascinated by going to the places that he was talking about. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, my book grew out of that as is, is a guide for other people to follow in Bartram's footsteps. And, um, but when you're doing that, you can point out some places that Bartram was and where he was and what, where he talked about events and things, but what else is there? And, um, if you go to Savannah, Georgia, there's a lot of history. There's a lot to do there. But what if mm-hmm. you're in Butler County, Georgia, which is um, midwestern part of the state? And William Bartram went right through that county. So if you're traveling along following William Bartram and you get there, um, you need to know something about what what happened there, why Bartram was going through there, and where are some places where you can go and see 
maybe something of what Bartram saw. And um, so and part of that is the, is the history of the area um, because it would go from Indian, Indian occupation to white American occupation. And um, so I've pretty much decided to continue the history on to through the end of Bartram's life. And he, he lived to be in his, I can't remember exactly which year he died, but he was a very old man, almost 90 years old. Um, I believe he died in the, uh, sometime in the it's middle it. or the late 1820s. It's sad to say, I can't remember when William Bartram died as much as I read about him, but there, you know, there's a lot of facts July, to remember. <laughs> July 22nd, 1823. Okay. So I um, kind of stopped, tried to stop history there. Um, and, and when you're in Alabama, in the central part of Alabama, there, were, there wasn't a he, – he traveled through that area, but there was not a lot there at the time because the – the Cretes lived in the up, around in the Mo, Montgomery area, and then there was Mobile, and there were a few little villages down there. So in that whole area, there there wasn't there weren't any settlements. So what can you mm-hmm. what can you talk about um, if you're traveling that uh, road? And what I try to do is have people follow what became the old. Uh, federal road because it was laid down upon a, the trading path that Bartram followed, and um, and a lot of history happened along there, but a lot of it happened after Bartram left. But the first Creek War was um, 1814, 15 in that area during Bartram's lifetime, and he would have read about it in the papers, and even and certainly some of the some of the young people that he met would be involved in, in that war. Yeah, and, and, you know, Brad, since you were just mentioning, um, you know, dr- driving through Butler County, Georgia, um, you know, the Federal Road, um, uh, as you know, as go- going through the Gulf uh, Coast uh, states, um, you are working with a group, uh, you know, the National William uh, Bartram Heritage Corridor. That sounds like you and your group have. A really neat idea going on to uh, preserve history. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's what your group uh, has as, as, as an objective? Yes, uh-huh. but I want to correct a mistake I just made. Uh, it was not Butler County, Butler, Georgia, which is in Taylor County. Oh. So okay, <laughs> I. I get to get them get them backwards sometimes. Um, That's all right. I'm a member of the Bartram, Bartram Trail Conference, and uh, it, you know, rather than Bartram Trail Society, it's called Conference because it was organized in 1976 by the governors of seven southern states to a committee to 
meet in conference several times a year and study the William Bartram's travels in the South to see if it was feasible for it to become a national uh, recreational trail. The National Trails Act had been passed in the late 60s, and when all of the paperwork was being done and there were possible national trails, a Bartram Trail was one of them. And uh, the National Park Service does feasibility studies, so they, they have, have to have input from, um, you know, lots of information and input from local areas and local states and everybody that's involved. So the Bartram Trail Conference uh, gathered a lot of information about William Bartram and the Bartram Trail and where, where he traveled. And um, a lot of that work had been done in the uh, 1940s by Francis Harper, but the Bartram Trail Conference published uh, Bartram Heritage, a book of their findings. It was their report. It was published in 1979, and that was turned over to the National Park Service. And the National Park Service published the Bartram Trail Feasibility Study, concluded that it, it did not lend itself to being a national recreational trail because you couldn't walk it from one end to the other, like you can the Appalachian Trail, or boat it from one end to the other, almost like the Lewis and Clark Trail. Uh, and it would not lend itself to being a national historic trail because it's disjointed. But they did say um, Bartram's legacy is worth uh, commemorating and that we should continue uh, putting putting together the trails, gardens, historic sites, uh, interpretive okay. centers, interpretive information in museums, and that they would provide three hundred thousand dollars to continue this this effort. And but it never happened. And within a few years after that, uh, in the mid nineteen eighties, the National Park Service started. Um, organizing our um, uh, Congress and the, through the National Park Service created heritage corridors. And when you read the description of a heritage corridor, it is exactly what the National Park Service said that they wanted to happen with the Bartram Trail, which never happened. But now we've got 45 heritage, national heritage corridors and, uh, for example, one of the most recent ones is the Gully Geechee Heritage Corridor, which is the coast of Florida, Georgia, up to Charleston, and, and inland a little ways. And um, so 45 heritage corridors, and none of them have to do with William Bartram. So in, at our conference, our biennial conference in Baton Rouge in 19, uh, 2017, we agreed to revive the effort and start where we left off and see if we could um, make it happen again. And the concept is that um, it's called a string of pearls. For example, to Georgia, Savannah, the, the waterfront of Savannah, downtown historic district is part of the string of pearls. 
Midway, Georgia, where Bartram went to church and he visited a plantation. There's another part of it. Um, Lecount Woodmanston um, property in Liberty County, uh, Fort Barrington on the uh, Altamaha River, Darien, Georgia. These are all part of that, and you get to one from one place to other by driving to them. You, you wouldn't hike on a hiking trail. And sometimes when you tell people about the Bartram Trail, they want to know where do you hike it. And there are some that you can hike, but the whole thing is not a hiking trail. And um, we're hard to get this going again because you get, need to find one person in Congress who puts a bill forth requiring the National Park Service to revisit the issue because the National Park Service can't decide to do it on their own. And what we've been doing is creating a lot of publicity, uh, building up our profile in the hopes that somebody will, um, in Congress, say, okay, let's get the National Park Service to look into this again. A lot of the work has been done, and that we just need that. And um, if, if anybody wants to know how this will look, in Florida, they have created, uh, starting with the Bartram Trail in Putnam County, all of the sites that Bartram visited and mentioned, they've marked in Putnam County. And they combined all of their paddling trails, their biking trails, their hiking trails, and their natural areas are all under the auspices of the Bartram Trail in Putnam County. And it's drawing a lot of tourism. So then Volusia County wanted to do it. And then St. John's County wanted to do it. <clears throat> and then Duval County, and now Alachua County is involved in it. And, and within a couple of years, all the counties in Florida that William Bartram visited are going to be part of a Bartram Trail in Florida that is like a small version of what we envision the National Heritage Corridor will be. We just have to expand that, build it out into other states and uh our focus now is trying to get some interest in Georgia, you know, because Florida can just spill over across the river. And um, if we can get some people in the coastal counties of Georgia interested, building a, a, a William Barnum presence and including him in their interpretation uh, and in, in their natural recreation, then we can really start gathering a lot of attention and we'll get somebody in Congress to come on board and, and make it happen. Well, it sounds like you have a very worthy project going on, and you know, it's uh, one of the things I, I really enjoy about you know, my Tuesday night show is um, you know, just preserving history. I've, you know, over the years, you know, I've, I've worked on a variety of uh, such projects, and I think they're very gratifying uh, when they come to fruition. Um, and you know, I was just um, thinking about the, the popularity of the uh, Dickensian and Jack the Ripper. Uh, walks of London. 
Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, you know, there are books. I, I have one, you know, Charles Dickens, you know, tours of uh, London. Um, but you know, there there are a number of books on you know those walks, and, and you know, they have a whole bunch of other when you know Shakespeare's London uh, uh, walks. And I, I went on the the. the those t- uh, the 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 Dickens and Jack the Ripper uh, walks and yeah they were very well attended. I uh, hope that they're able to generate that kind of enthusiasm for uh, what you're hoping to do. Well, I, I hope so too. Um, William Bartram is significant for the study of natural history in the southeast of the United States. For me, um, and this is what the, the goal of the Bartram Trail in Putnam County in Florida was all about, was they saw William Bartram as a way to connect the, all of the study of nature and recreation, the river and their history, all together under the auspices of William Bartram, and that's how they present it. They do a symposium uh, every year, and they have paddles and hikes, and they'll have a, a walk around town and readings and lectures. But the, one of the most important things that they do is they have a whole day where every elementary and middle school child in Putnam County learns something about William Bartram. They get uh, they get to come down to the river center and learn about William Bartram, and um, so all those people are going to grow up knowing who William Bartram is. And for me, he's he's been important because when I was young, if you wanted to, you talked about nature, that meant you had to go to a national park somewhere in the west to see nature. You didn't imagine that it was in your own backyard and that it, and there were significant plants and animals and beauty within walking distance of where you grew up. And that's what William Bartram is important for us, those of us in the southeastern United States, is going back and reading him and getting a real appreciation of what we have right here, and um, the, the beauty of our own world. He's like the... Um, is the mentor or the, the the guardian angel for for nature in the southeast, and uh, helps us interpret it and, and appreciate it. Well, do note in your book that you know by the time he returned to Philadelphia and you know eventually went into. Uh, retirement he is having all these you know, big names from history uh visiting him and, and as well as you know the uh corresponding with him you know the uh, father gill in england he, he had all these international uh connections as well um he was lionized by many of the american uh 
literati in the scientific community. Uh, uh, you know, it, someone of that stature it, it, it really shouldn't have his legacy just forgotten. He 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 really did uh, have unbelievable uh, achievements when uh, there wasn't a you know, very uh, sporadic, inconvenient modes of transportation in un- undeveloped parts of the uh, country, and you know uh, he lived to tell about it. Yes, uh, although it, according to him, he he almost didn't live to tell about it. But um, you know, the beginning you were talking about Lewis and Clark. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's not a person in the in this country who went through public school education and not know who Lewis and Clark is, and it's because they figured into um, this you know the concept of, uh, of American history that that people enjoy. Uh, the expansion and um, the adventures that they had, and uh, but people people have a cursory knowledge of what they saw and what they 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 did. So people people know about Lewis and Clark. That's that's part of American history. That's part of America. But mm-hmm. they don't know so much about William Bartram, and it's and William Bartram for you know the 1800s and half of the 1900s, he was known to people who were interested in natural history and people who were interested in early American writing. But he wasn't taught in school. And I think that that's, he wasn't taught. And what he wrote about didn't figure into the, the scheme of American exceptionalism and American expansion. So... It's, it, it seems to be changing. I, I think that people now have a, a different need to know about America, American history, and the relationship with nature and the landscape has changed also. So I, I think as time has come, people are really uh, more books about William Bartram have been written in the last 15 or 20 years than in the previous 200 years. Um, and in, in fact, oh. every year there's several new books that come out about William Bartram. That didn't happen in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. And one of the many aspects that make, makes your book so unique. Um, there are all kinds of maps, <clears throat> you know, you know, a modern highway system overlaid with the creeks and rivers. Um, you have little markers. Hey, you know, three miles down the road from you know, once you cross over in this county, you got this little, uh, you know. Place where you pull off the road, and this uh, Bartram did this here. It's all right there, very handy. Um, 
but you know, you also recreate um what what's the word? Like the ge- gentility is that the right word? Uh where someone of his scientific reputation was um invited to stay with um like the governor or the you know, mayor of Savannah, yeah, you know, so, so, something like that. You know, it's uh, uh, a very uh, important person in town. It uh, opens the um, um, you know, like governor's mansion to to Bartram. Um, you, you, know, you also create. Uh, or, or uh, recreate that at you know, such and such a church, uh, you know, Bartram heard, you know, reverends, you know, so and so, and you know, that was like a, a big deal. Yeah, uh, the you know some of these uh, ministers were. Uh, celebrities at, at that time, right? And, and um, he, uh, William Bartram, had had having had been in the South in 1765 with his father John. John, being appointed uh, botanist, King's botanist in North America, of course, had an introduction to all of the the people in government and and had and had to meet with them. And uh, it made it when the, William Bartram came back. He um, he still had some of those connections, but he through Fothergill and Peter Collinson, and through his father, he was able. You know, every important person in Charleston saw and talked with William Bartram, and it, there were so few people in East Florida that he met and knew everybody in the government, and. Um, mm-hmm. And he would mention people who since have become important figures in, in history of Georgia and, and Florida and names that we, that we read when we're getting down into the documents. And, um, it, and it, is, it is kind of fascinating how he'll uh, just mention someone and then, you know, in your other readings, you run across that person's name again. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, every important person in Georgia and South Carolina knew William Bartram personally, <laughs> met him and talked to him. It, it's interesting. Your, your, your book takes us back to a time that uh, it no longer exists, but we see how things were done between people, uh, social custom, uh, you know, I mean, talk about, you know, just between uh, you know, the uh, white settlers and natives, uh, you know, just the, you know, people uh, 
northerners vi- visiting people in the south it, you know we, we see uh, a study of manners and uh, I believe you only mentioned once that uh, Bartram was denied uh, staying in someone's house. But, oh yeah, you know, there's uh-huh. uh, most people you know, were very uh, welcoming to travelers as well as you know, specifically to Bartram. He's, he's, you know, Nice to have a celebrity you know, knock on your door and ask if you, you know, they could stay there. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, I, it, it is, uh, you know, one of the neat things about your book is you you do a, a great job of recreating where these places uh are are located you know many you know, you know just say savannah many of the buildings are still standing and right. uh, some some of the governor's uh mansions are still there um but you know we, you document where all these events happened and uh uh needing to wind down real quickly but you know I did want to uh um bring up one passage where it, um you know uh you, you you do write on page 191 uh this indicates that Bartram was traveling on the west side of the river of the river at Otto Probably Bartram crossed the east to the west side of the Little Tennessee River near the graves of the fallen Cherokee warriors just a mile or so north of the state line. Uh, this site is commemorated with a historical marker. So, uh, do, do you find that when you driving you know, the this section of uh, where you know feel pretty certain that Bartram was visiting, and, and then you, you kind of juxt, juxtaposition uh, or juxtapose uh, you know, his text with what you're seeing, uh, or do, do you think that? Your book may be pinpointed a a little bit more accurately where some of his journals might be a little uh, fuzzy. Well, I some there's some places where my opinion differs from what Francis Harper's opinion was in, in the 1940s and what the Bartram Trail Conference Heritage Report uh, thinks because I've revisited the sites and, and read and read and I keep looking for old maps and unfortunately in 1773 there are no maps that the, the maps for the, that time were good but they're not that good 
You know, it's like mm-hmm. the road goes from here to there, but it doesn't show you which, where it crosses the creek, and there's just not that much detail. And um, I think one of my one of my faults, one of, one of the problems with what I'm doing is I sometimes get bogged down in trying to figure out Tennessee River and Macon County, North Carolina. Where would the trail have gone? Where did Bartram cross over to this side? Where did he cross over to the other side? And at some point, you just have to give up and say, he probably he probably did this. He he may have done that. Um, we don't know. And there are a couple of cases where I'll I'll give two routes, you know, and then the new maps they'll have a question mark on each one and say he could have gone this way, he could have gone that way. He, he's he's vague enough in some situations that mm-hmm. it makes makes for work, but you know that's what makes it fun. If you have to work for it, <laughs> if you didn't have to work for it, it wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> so that's why well, I enjoy it. No, it, it's it is interesting. And yeah, I noticed that in a couple you know a couple places where you know like yeah, we kind of think maybe you know, he was here, but yeah, uh, you know. You know, this, but this one treaty uh, kind of moved the Cherokee out of the area. So, you know, we kind of aren't sure, but I think he was uh, going, you know, between this town and this town, and it's now like, you know, Route 41 or something like that. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it is interesting, but, you know, you are using, you know, the old maps, you know, what what we do know uh you know without you know Bartram having a GPS in the 1770s uh, it, you know it, it it is interesting you know you do put forth um a really nice effort to pinpoint things a, a little bit more specifically than uh Bartram uh, wrote about, but you know, like you said, you know, he didn't have access to the road signs and mile markers, and you know that we have today. But you know, it, uh, that's one of the neat things about uh, reading your book and recreating. Yeah, you know, it's like you know the Canterbury Tales. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just kind of you get the people. On, on the road going east, and like you know, Chaucer mentions you know, like this, uh, you know, uh, inn or something like that. You know, you know we, we knew that was a real place, but um, um, you, but we you know, we aren't sure exactly where one of the characters told the story. But you, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you're doing, yeah. you are just kind of like dealing with the same thing, uh, same thing, and. He's going this direction, probably down this street, but or down this uh, road, but we don't know exactly where. So, it, it, but it, you know, your whole book, uh, Guide to William Bartram's Travels, is you know r- really well done, and you, know, you have all the maps and you know the ta- uh, you know the important buildings in the town where he may have stayed and. Uh, I think it's really a terrific book, and uh, I just wanted to uh, bring it to the attention of our 
uh, listeners and um, you know your uh, you know the co- corridor project. Um, you know, we at Nightlight really enjoy uh, preserving history, and you know, uh, you know, Brian. I know, uh, you know, we're running a few minutes late, but um, um, you, you know, I give you, uh, you know, a few minutes if you want to wrap up anything, and you can get get back to uh, what you're doing on a. Your work you were doing on a Tuesday evening. <laughs> um, well, my my book is out of print right now, and I'm working on updating it, which is taking as long as doing the update as the original writing did. Probably because I'm a lot more thorough and a lot know a lot more now than I did in the 1990s. <clears throat> but the Bartram Trail Conference has a website, bartramtrail.org, and it's got a lot of information about, uh, we've got maps, we've got a, a Google map that's got Bartram's route that we, you know, as best as we can get it correct and uh, points on the map. It's got information about his travels through different states and the uh, Barnstorm Show Conference Heritage Report that was published in 1979 is available on our website as a PDF so people can see what uh, the work that was done that, that got all this started. And um, we try to keep the website updated as best we can, but, you know, with all volunteer um, people, it's, it's kind of hard to do, but that's a that's a, a good place to get started. And, and the reason why I did my book was I kept wanting to go to the places that William Bartram wrote about. I wanted to see what he saw, um, you know, the town and and the nature. And, and that's what um, I was trying to do is give people a resource where they could go to some place they'd never been before and learn something about that place, its history and its natural history. And William Barcham is their guide, and that's that's why I, I, I did what I did, and that's why the maps were important. And uh, but um, you can get a pretty good map on the uh, on our website, so I encourage everybody to to check that out, barchamtrail.org. I, I think that's all I can think of at the moment. Listen, do you okay. have any more questions? Oh. No, I- no, I, I, um, I'd just be glad to have have you come back at some some point. You know, I think we covered everything. I know you have a little bit more to do tonight. You know, I just don't want to uh, keep you away from that. But you know, uh, Brad, I just wanted to thank you for your passion in preserving history. You know, Bar- Barbara and I are all in favor of that subject and you know we're glad to have so many people from different backgrounds talking about the different projects that they're they're working on you know we've done that for for years and uh just uh nice to have you bring a new topic that you know, to add to our roster of historic preservation 
Oh, I I enjoy it. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, okay, we had Brad Sanders as our guest, and you, you can. If you can get a call, 